All right, everybody, welcome back to the 443 Podcast. My name is Matt, and as always, I'm joined with Reese. Big match week uh, that we're going to be reviewing with you guys today. Uh, Merseyside Derby, Brentford winning comfortably, Man City scraping by, but Matt, there's only one place we have to start at today. Chelsea at home to Arsenal. What was your biggest takeaway today? My biggest takeaway is that maybe the Gunners aren't as good as they were last season and that Chelsea is a good team that was just trying to get situated. I could see that. Um, I think positionally, uh, you guys were a little bit shaky uh, in the first 25 to 30 minutes, but you settled into the game. Um, And I think with your pressing, that made it hard for Chelsea to build up, uh, do build up play. So we kind of... I honestly was not impressed by the performance that most other Chelsea fans were. Um, but I want to start with you in regards to the wingers versus the outside backs for Arsenal versus Chelsea. Why were Saka and Martinelli not able to be as clinical as they usually are? So first of all, I was just excited on the team sheet to see Saka, Jesus, yeah. and Martinelli. Um, for Martinelli, I believe it was the fact that he is a heavily first-touch player and the ball was just not moving on your guys' pitch. Um, I've heard another podcaster compare it to Porridge. Um, I just thought it was bad conditions for him coming off an injury. Saka had that um, gentleman from Spain with the hair. I don't my Sorry. No, you're good. (laughs) Um, Had him just on him the entire game, and the referee didn't deal with it till the end. Um, But, yeah, and... I think that maybe just those three guys are just all coming back from injury and it's not doing good for them. Yeah, and I think obviously the international break plays a portion. Um, Saka settled into the into the game. I think he sort of took over in the second half towards the end of the game, obviously with the equalizer to Trossard. That, that cross came from him. But yeah, it was very chippy from Kukurea. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of hacking at him. He's uh, done it before to Saka. And we, we were talking about it earlier. I mean... Kukurea most likely should have had a yellow, uh, but I feel like the ref should have given a couple of yellows to him. You know, a few players. That one, there was a play right before you guys got your um, your VAR goal, your VAR penalty, yep. where the whistle was blown. And he just slammed into soccer <laughs> from behind, and I couldn't understand how that was on the TV, and not one linesman was like, like even went to talk to him. Yeah, I understand they were distracted with the VAR, but to me, that was just like, come on, man. <laughs> Kind of a dirty play there. I, yeah. I can agree. Now, jumping into that that VAR goal, was that a handball on Saliba? Or do you think it was fair to be given? I thought it was, according to the letter of the law, it was a uh, penalty. Okay. But the fact that he was, he was already going in to head the ball before Martinelli headed the ball mm-hmm. and then deflected it right into his hands. Um I don't think it was a penalty in my heart, but my head says according to the rules it is. If that if that is the cop-out answer. You know what's funny, Matt? We don't know what the true handball rule yeah. is nowadays because it doesn't even seem like the refs know what the true handball what rule Tim is. What Tim Howard was telling me at halftime from NBC Sports, <laughs> it was a handball by the letter of the law. And if that is the letter that, he's, that he is telling the truth, that I believe it was, because with you, I don't really know. Because the, the Merseyside... Uh, Darby one. That one was a was a had to, both of them were I guess handballs if you yep. categorize it in that way. Two things that I would lean towards it being a handball. Uh, one, the ball was heading on target allegedly. That's what I also heard from NBC Sports as well uh, and from the comment commentators. Um, two, his hands were in a natural state, and I and that's the point where they don't call it a handball usually. 
but it's just when you're going for that header, as you said, he was mm-hmm. already leaning in for the header on Mudrik. And then yeah, Mudrik went in. Mudrik came for that header, is going towards that bottom left side corner uh, of the of the goal. His hands just happened to be there. So I think those two things mainly decided our goal. But sort of moving along, man, don't tell me these goals were pretty in any sort of way. And that's that's the main thing where... And I'll jump into my game reaction a little bit later about why Chelsea fans should be a little bit more patient with this team. But um, the, the goals we scored were not pretty. you know. And, and jumping into the Mudrik goal, just like Saka's goal against us a few years ago when he was playing a cross, but it just happened to be a perfect upper 90 shot <laughs> right over Mendy's head. Similar to happen to Mudrik. Matt, what was your reaction when that goal happened? I think I called it on the last plot, or at least with you in conversation. We are going to start this game one down, just like Czech used to be a plus one. Mudrik against Arsenal is going to be a plus one. Exactly. And I just knew he was going to score. I mean, it was in the cards. And to piggyback off that, we also talked about last week how the midfield battle between Declan Rice Mm -hmm. and Caicedo was going to play a big portion. And it did. I'd say for the first 60 minutes, it was mainly a Chelsea midfield win. But again, you guys made some. Arteta made outstanding substitutions, and the lack of inexperience, the lack of experience from the Chelsea side, Rice sort of started to run the show along with his midfield partner. Well, that brings me into something I think you and me had kind of talked about. Havertz needed to be in this game from it's the beginning destined. because Jorginho um, against your guys is it's Gallagher. Yep. Enzo, Fernandez, and Casado. I always forget what Enzo is, his last name or his first name. Because <laughs> he's got two two last names. Yep. Enzo's, we call him Enzo. His first name's okay. Enzo. But those three guys are going to be too much for Jorginho, especially on a crappy pitch. And I don't mean Stanford Bridge is crappy, guys. I just mean it's the rain. The rain played a part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, I would have had Havertz start this game, and I think it would have been different, or at least have him come on at halftime. So you wanted, just so I can get some clarification, Did you were you looking for what you guys usually do in your midfield three of... Rice, for example, Partey, or Odegaard, and then Havertz has that left eight. Is that where you pretty much Yeah, anyone, I just think that Jorginho shouldn't have been in the game based off of how young and spry you guys are. You literally only have one, I think you might be the youngest team if you take right now. Tiago Silva is the outlier. Yeah, the outlier. (laughs) Um, Because even we got all rid of uh, Jaka, and Mm -hmm. we replaced him with like a 22-year-old Declan Rice. Yep. I think a very underrated uh, substitution that was made was right at halftime for uh, uh, Tommy Yasu coming on for Zinchenko because Sterling (laughs) Sterling did have some very threatening uh, moves on Zinchenko, and I think when you subbed on when you guys subbed on Tommy Yasu, that pretty much just changed the narrative of the game in our attack. Yeah, and then he fixed. He had multiple holes to deal with. He was at Dardetta was on a sinking ship. And he first fixed the Zinchenko hole, which yep. Sterling was bossing him, man. He got that yellow early. It was his fault. Mm-hmm. And it dictated the kind of the play of the game because he couldn't do what he needed to do anymore to stop you guys. And in the first half especially, I noticed Rice was almost playing that left eight role that Kai Havertz would be playing. And you would have Zinchenko tucked mm-hmm. in. But it seemed like Pochettino, with this no-striker formation, pretty much sort of played a big part in. Oh, yeah, that rotating. Him. I noticed that from the beginning. I was like, what? They're playing just a not even a false nine. They're just rotating the nine. <laughs> exactly, and I couldn't even tell who was playing striker at certain points in the game. Uh, at one point, Enzo I think was playing striker. Exactly. He was the lead guy at one point. I got a question for you. Did you see uh, when that penalty was given when 
Cole Palmer had the ball in his hands, and then Raheem Sterling kind of took the ball from him. Did you see that? Yeah, and then Enzo he handed it, tried to hand it to Enzo, and Enzo pointed at Cole. Exactly, and I think that kind of shows that there's actually some sort of chemistry in, in, mm-hmm. in this team that's starting to be built that wasn't there when this team first started out in the season against Liverpool. How old is Raheem Sterling? He's been around for so long. I, for, I, I He started so young, I forget how old he is. Dude, the guy's been playing since, since with the dinosaurs, right? But mm-hmm. this guy's only 28 years old. Okay. Like... I think that also is like he's technically in his prime, but he's been in his prime for so long yeah. where it's kind of like... I remember he was in his prime when he played for Liverpool, and that seems <laughs> like a decade ago. Exactly. Um, but didn't he, he played, and then they got rid of him around when Klopp took over, right? He yeah. left Liverpool, went to City, ironically, mm-hmm. and then he that's where his career really flourished. But um, jumping back into this game, yes. man, I can't, I can't help but think that when you guys subbed on Trossard... Uh, we pretty and we subbed on Reese James. I think that was sort of the the main issue in that in that substitution from Chelsea. I'm not mad at the change. I don't think that was the reason why we lost by bringing Reese James on. But you didn't lose. <laughs> Sorry, you're right. You're right. Uh, but I think that's sort of where the the momentum changed. Uh, you guys were just pressing down, pressing down. We had Colwell clearing everything. He couldn't play out the back. We buy all these Brighton players that are supposed to be building from the back, but Colwell just keeps clearing it. And I think. I'll jump into him in a second as well, but um, it just seems like you guys were just too much for us in, in the last 10 minutes of the game. Well, I think that the trossard Havertz switch, and oh, we also did one other, the Eddie and Kedia yep. and the um, Emil Smith-Rowe. Uh, basically, Arteta changed out the entire, all five subs, and it went from a controlling team to just a, everyone wants to run into the box team. I was very surprised that Smithrow came onto the field, man, especially with not having seen him so much this season. I thought it was more of a uh, very, I thought it was a risky substitution at the time, but it looked like to have paid off for, for Arteta. Oh, yeah. And, but um, into the other goals, yeah. uh, that the only, okay, there was one kind of pretty goal in this game to me, and I just, so in my emotional state, I'm 2-0 to Chelsea on my Saturday. I didn't expect this to the, you guys to boss the game as much as you did, and it changed my perspective. But that Rice goal, I was at my lowest. My head was in my hands, and I fully expected this pod to be me drinking a beer, just like going, <laughs> we're crap. Uh, but Rice saved the day with that just – it wasn't pretty, but it was a goalkeeping error that he just flung it from like outside the box into the goal. And I blame myself for for talking about a smile last week. You know, it was just I, I texted my other Arsenal uh, friend, and I was like, "This is worse than losing the game is having Rice <laughs> score against us." But I, I agree, man. Um, I do have a question: If Sanchez doesn't make that mistake, do you guys think you guys still equalize some other way? I think we would have started. We were starting the comeback. Yeah. Rice did it, but I think that Trissard probably still would have done something. Of course. I don't know if we, if he had been for that error that we would have done it, like equalized it. But at the end of the game, it was one of those things where it just, I started to believe that we could get the third goal. Right. Um, after Trissard scored. Um, and that's sort of like the Arsenal we saw last season. Resilient, you know, not so just. So many late goals this season. Exactly. Um one last thing on the uh, that goal as well. Um, do you think it's time for Sanchez to be looked at as, as a possible drop to the bench, or do you still believe that uh, Sanchez is still a good goalie and, and should be starting in this team? For your team? Yeah. Um, I never thought – so I liked it when you brought back – it was Mindy, right? Or no. Who's the guy you had with the neck tattoos? Oh, no, he's on loan now, isn't he? Never mind. 
I don't know who would replace him, though. Who's your backup? Exactly. So there's Chelsea fans calling for this guy, Sanchez, to be dropped. Keep him. I think he's the best. If you don't know, who, I don't know who your backup is, then I'd keep him because I know who he is. Yeah. Um, and I thought you guys still had the, the guy with the neck tattoo. I'm blanking his name. Man. I, I is it? It's not Mendy. Keppa? Keppa, yeah. Keppa has a ta- neck tattoo? I thought you had a neck tattoo. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's... it's it, I think he shouldn't be dropped, um, and the reason for it is before this game, we had the second best defensive Premier League record, and this team is so young, and I think kind of mm-hmm. going into why Chelsea fans should be patient, you're going to have these growing pains as a team, especially when you're so young. I think um, you know, in a few months' time, maybe in a season's time, you won't see these blemishes mm-hmm. happen where you're up 2-0 and, 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 and lose those Potch games. Potch is building your team. I'm seeing it. Palmer was already good, but he's bringing out stuff in Mudrick. Yep. Mudrick is playing better. You now have your, your midfielders. You have Caicedo, you have Enzo, and you still have Lavia to back up for Gallagher. I mean, you guys have the most athletic midfield. I think you're going to boss a team like City because City and Arsenal want to play the same way. I think that City clash you guys have in like two weeks is going to be an interesting one to watch because you guys are coming into the game. Yeah, and, and injuries definitely play a factor. You know, we still haven't seen Nkunku or Lavia, who's still battling injuries. But um, I have one last thing on this. On this, and I have one last thing after you're done. Cool, cool. <laughs> I guess I'll get my point after you do. Does this feel more like an Arsenal win for you, or does it feel like more of an Arsenal? I guess not a loss, but you're not really happy with the draw. Going into the game, I would have been happy with the draw, but after the first 40 minutes, um, I'm happy with the draw. Okay. Um, we're still on track to be undefeated. Yeah. Um, we fortunately dropped six points from draws. Um, but you guys came to play, and in the in the game, I'm happy with the draw because we should have lost that game if we hadn't have been able to pull it out. Piggybacking off what you said, with you guys still being undefeated, and as you just said, you've dropped six points now. Six points, you mentioned? Yeah, six. We've had three draws. Three draws. Fulham, you guys, and Tottenham. Okay. So you guys have dropped six points now. And you guys are still managed to... You beat uh, Arsenal. Or, sorry, you beat City. Beat City. Beat United. And you're still tied with City for that first place spot. Does well, it... until tomorrow. Technically, uh, yeah. We'll, 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 this <laughs> we'll get game, into that. Yeah, yeah. But do you think, like, after all the dropped points, do you feel like you're sort of missing out on that title run by leaving City a little too much here? No, I don't think. I think okay. that Arteta has learned from last season. I think he's trying to accumulate points and not losing okay. is what he wants. I don't think he wanted that draw against Tottenham, which, to be honest, was just an error on our end from, okay. from Virginia. Yeah. Fulham, they just scored too darn early. And you guys, you guys came to play. I think you're the first one that we were just outplayed and I can remember. From the tactical aspect. Yeah. Okay. Now, you mentioned you had one last question for me. On this is not as serious as yours, but what the heck is going on with Ben White's hair? Like, to me, it looked like he was watching game film at the, at the ground, and he saw that you could always see where Trossard is on the pitch at any given time. He goes, I like that. I'm going to take that up to 10. You know, I'm I'm sort of a troll when I when I talk about Ben White. You know, I usually call him Ben Shite. But oh, now I call him with, Benny Blanco. There you go. And honestly, with the bleached hair, it makes even more yeah. sense. After seeing the that platinum. hair, I don't agree with it with Trossard. I'm down to start calling him Ben Shite more now because that is just horrendous. Oh yeah, 
with his with his tan and his tats and his his attitude. This doesn't flow. I, I get it for you. I still love ben, Benny Blanco, of course, but that's just me. Because um, he is just he's a eight out of ten on the team sheet every time you put him out there, of and he can go. He's his floor is Nate. Yeah, hardly ever makes a mistake. He's that player you need if you're going to be challenging for a title or a trophy. Consistent, solid right back. You know what he's going to give you defensively, which is consistent. And he can move into the middle if needed. Exactly. And he's and he's just good enough in attack to give Sokka enough support. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, guys. And we're going to... All right, guys. We are back. Reese, who's our next game? Second game. May not be the biggest game of the weekend, but, you know, Matt, I think this is pretty much safe to say this is why we love football. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nottingham Forest at home to Luton, 2-2. Two to two. What's your initial reaction? So, the previous game we covered was the emotional roller coaster I love about this game, yep. where I was at my lowest low, and then I was brought up to my highest high within fan, 90 minutes. It's the fan perspective, in a sense. Yes. But the, I guess, administrative version of what I love about this world, the world of football is this Luton town. They have a stadium that's barely can hold eleven thousand people. I looked at the um, the stats on their stadium. They are smaller than Wrexham, and they're they're down there. You have to scroll. They're like the like down there in terms of stadium size. Um, and it's just a heartwarming story that you know Ryan Reynolds and McElhenney are trying to capitalize on is bringing a team from the bottom to the top. It's what Bournemouth did years ago, yeah. but it's more of a story because you know you can make fun of Luton because you can see people watching TV around their ground when you're leaving. And my next trip to the UK, I'm going to try and go see a Luton game. Can't blame you. And then jumping into the game yeah, itself. Yeah, the game itself. I think what's what's I think if you're a Nottingham Forest fan, you're taking this as a loss. Yes, you are. Uh, because one uh, it was the Chris Wood show uh, in the first half, especially. He could have had two or three goals alone. Mm-hmm. Um, on XG, you know, Nottingham Forest had over three goals scored on, on XG. To... It's always nice to see an Aussie killing in the Premier League. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I think Nottingham Forest couldn't deal with that overwhelming pressure in the last, what, 15 minutes yep. of the game from They Luton. think they, they started at 16. They really started their, their attack. Mm-hmm. 16 minutes left, and then they got their two goals and yeah. equalized. And I feel like with Nottingham Forest, like they have some saucy players. You know, they got style, they have flair, but they are missing that clinical end product. And they, even Sangar or Sangare, should have had a goal as well. I uh, think what they need to do is whatever that dog and that Turner is, is transplant that to the other players. Shut up, sorry guys. <laughs> sorry guys. I I love the Matt Turner uh, has a dog in him joke that Ravsdale made, and I can't unsee it. Reese does a he he just he just lets me do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the two two is fair in the end, or do you think Nottingham yeah. Forest also should have escaped with the win as well? I, I'm biased. Because I'm not a Luton supporter, but I want Luton to stay up, even if it's at the expense of a team like Everton. Um, but I think it was a loss for Forrest, even though they drew. Forrest should have won that game, and they should have gotten three points, but Luton has heart, and they didn't give up. I agree. Just like they had heart against Spurs. Spurs had to have some Madison sorcery, magic, or whatever you want to call it, to win that game last weekend. They should have gotten a draw from the Spurs game, too, but they just let it lapse for a split second. Agree. Jumping to the next game here, guys. Manchester City, 2-1 win at home to Brighton. Very close contested. You know, I kind of want to start this off, Matt, because in yeah. my notes here, right, I had, let me let me pull it up here. At the third minute of this game, I said, Ortega and Rodri, or Ortega, Rodri, and Bernardo uh, beating the press that Brighton was having in the third minute. Mm-hmm. 
Breaking the press, looks like City will be good. Seventh minute, seventh minute when they score, yeah, City are fine. I mean, Rodri is just the difference maker. Well, also, you forgot John Stones is back, too. Exactly. And this City team, we'll get into this uh, when we preview the games, but um, this City team looked like the City of last season. They didn't look like the City Arsenal played. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe we got a little lucky in that game, but... um, I think with uh, Brighton struggles uh, as well the last couple weeks, uh, there's definitely some some missing parts. They had some injuries. You know, Estupignan was out of the game due to injury, also coming back from international break. Uh, Lamptey is just coming back from injury as well, so he wasn't 100%. But still, the the, the amount of times Deserby rotates his team, I think it's starting to... A lot of people called it a positive a few weeks ago. I'm starting to think it is not actually working as much as they thought it would. I just didn't realize how much, like, oldness he had in that team. Because, I mean, I... They have a history with Danny Welbeck, and it was nice to see him. I forgot James Milner played for them. Exactly. And him against Doku, I don't understand what he was thinking. Like, did you see that tackle where he hip-checked him and Doku <laughs> went in the air? And it looked like something out of a pro wrestling match That's when he one, hit the ground. Yeah, and Doku, I think he was almost crying, right? That yeah, was a, he That was he a legit, proper Brexit tackle, in a sense. Like, yeah. No, like, he was in the air, and he landed on his hip. I don't know what hip, hip he landed. He landed on his hip, and it wasn't planned. Milner yeah. was lucky he got out of that was just a talking to and not a yellow because he put Doku in danger if he landed on his head or his neck that could have been bad exactly now I think we did start to see a little bit of City struggling in the second half mm-hmm. especially when Brighton got that goal afterwards it was pretty much all Brighton in my opinion um, I think Ferguson contributed to that for, comeback. Sure. for sure taking Welbeck's out because Welbeck I love him but he's an older man and putting in that youth and energy of Ferguson and I think with the substitutions that he made with Fatih um, bringing on, coming on for Jao Pedro, and then um, as you said, Ferguson. I gave Matoma much more room on his end because it seemed like City were almost focusing on the middle of attack with Ferguson and Fati because Fati was playing like a second striker, which mm-hmm. he's usually a left winger. Um, question for you: I could be going a little crazy, but after the international break, we saw Ederson on the bench. Typically, goalies don't need time, you know, when they get back from international break. Am I overthinking that maybe Ederson's a little hungover from last season, or do you think it was just some rest? I, I don't think it's a hangover. I think that, that this uh, away thing was cursed for Brazil. Gotcha. <laughs> um, because, like... Rest in peace to Neymar, Jr. Yeah, rest in peace to Neymar. Uh, Jesus got his goal, but he got knocked around. Who are, I don't even know who they played, but it just seemed like all the Brazilians came back a little sluggish from that, except for... Uh, Who's the, the Louise from Villa was the only player that Brazilian Douglas I know. Louise, yeah. Douglas Louise, because I think the, the he the, he did a good game today. Um, but yeah, I think there's just something going on with that Brazilian team. I think they went all over. I think maybe he's just a little old. Maybe he got a little sick or something or beat up. But are you worried for Brighton uh, in terms of with them having to balance Europe and the Premier League, or is it still not time to panic with that team yet? I am not feeling sorry for them. They shouldn't be they they if they need to learn this rotation if they want to be in the top eight or make the top six the top eight. Um, I think they got to learn, and this is their first time having Europe in a very long time or ever, from my from what I know. Yeah. I think that if they want to play with the big boys, they got to learn. You got to play twice a week. I agree, and I think personally, before we jump into the next game, I think you need to have. Brighton, if you're in the Premier League, you need to start your best team. Um, mm-hmm. You guys in Europe should be able to get out of the group stage. Because they're playing in the Europa League, right? Exactly. Okay. And I think if you're in the group stage of those competitions, it's okay to rotate mm-hmm. because your main priority is having Europe again next season so you can continue to back this team. 
Yep. Uh, jumping into the next game here, guys. Uh, Dealer's choice. Merseyside Derby. Sort of ruined, but Liverpool at home, 2-0 win to Everton. Matt, Ashley Young is about 73 years old now. You would think a man who has the who has been around the game, especially in the Premier League for so long, would not be the guy to actually uh, be the downfall for this Everton team. So this one was on too early for us. Um, mm-hmm. I think we both watched it on highlights or watched it as a replay. I was able to catch the second okay. half a little bit. Okay. But, but. And I just was like, what was he doing? Yeah. Like, you're on a yellow. Why would you even start that? Because, like, my history of the game is I was a defender, and I would have just tried to, like, control him from a distance instead of going in hard like that. I don't understand what he was thinking. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, one thing I I, I loved about the, the, the Everton side, though, it's like the 87th, 88th minute. They're down 1-0 one, one at the time, and we'll, we'll dive into Liverpool in a second. But they get their one attack with down 10 men, and they get, they get a corner, the crowd, the Toffees go absolutely nuts. Even though they're down 1-0, 10 men, this team still has that fan, that backing from their fans that they can equalize at any time. Um, but for the Liverpool side, I can't help but think that they almost couldn't break down that Deitch, uh, that Deitch v, form- v formation that he does uh, to break down teams. Yeah, um, Deitch is a get-out-of-relegation specialist, and he's playing get-out-of-relegation football right now. And, um, yeah, they got a penalty, and they got that amazing um, Sala, like, kick from outside the box. Nunez, Um, that was all Darwin right there. Uh, Darwin played him that nice mm -hmm. through ball, uh, Sala finish. I mean, really not much too much to say because Ashley Young sort of, again, just kind of detrimented that that game as well. But even, like, after the game, they asked Klopp about it, and he was just like, hey, I've been there, man. I feel for him, but... That's just the way the modern game's going to be played. Exactly. Jumping into the next game here, guys. Bournemouth at home to Wolverhampton. Uh, Bournemouth lose the game 2-1 to one to Wolves. Matt, again, sort of uh, Bournemouth's up 1-0 most of the game. It's the Pedro Neto show on the other side. What was your overall reaction from the game? Wolves are grinding out those wins, and they're going to be a safe team. They're going to be middle table. They've gotten, they've gotten calibrated to wherever they need to be. Um, I did like that Alex Scott played. Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't watch this game because there was so much going on when it was on. I just watched the recap. I Bournemouth are too good, and I think they need Adams, the American, back to in their midfield. Add some from quality. Injury. Add yeah. some quality. They're too good to be going down. They play good football. You see it's almost there. They had the lead for half this game. I just don't understand... Hey, what we, they need because they have they have all the ingredients to to stay up, but they're in like they're next from the bottom. Now we did predict Wolves wins, but for mm-hmm. both of us last week. But we did also say Irola, the Irola, the Bournemouth manager, mm-hmm. he's legit. You can see mm-hmm. these attacking patterns. Dominic Solanke is death taxes and a bow and arrow yeah. at goal celebration, and Billing played him a great ball. They have the potential to be a solid team that can avoid the relegation. Yeah. They're just missing something. And I think as well, one last thing mm-hmm. on it, sorry. Gary O'Neill, man, it was a comeback game from him. He was mm-hmm. sacked from Bournemouth at the end of last season, even though he, he kept them up. This was a prevent, This was pretty much vengeance for him, and I think that played a big part in their win. It was. And back to, like, just I don't think they're, they're bad enough to go down. I just don't understand why they're not getting results. Yeah. Same with the probably one of the teams we're going to talk about next in Burnley. They play too good of football to be this, this low in the table. <laughs> I agree. Uh, one last thing on Wolves. Um, 
three players. One, Huang He Chan should also start acting in movies. You know, when mm-hmm. he got that headbutt, I think that was outstanding oh, acting from he, him. He sold it like he just got hit with a bomb. <laughs> and he's like too nice of a guy. I didn't expect him to get fouled and then immediately stand up and try to face him. But you knew he was only there for one purpose, and that was to draw a card. Second thing, uh, Sasa Kalajdzic? Kalajdzic? I was high on him a couple years ago when he was at Salzburg, um, and then he tore his Achilles, tore his ACL or something like that at the beginning of the Wolves season, either last season or the season prior. Seeing him come off the bench and, and showing that he is still a viable option for this Wolves team just gives them another depth, uh, a, another uh, point of attack that they can utilize. I just think they're going to be okay. Yeah. I think they're going to be in that 10th through 14th range and they're a tough team to beat mm-hmm. you know they're 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 a team that's either going to grind out a draw or, or you have to be clinical enough to actually as, beat them as arsenal fan i'm not looking forward to the game <laughs> against them but who we got up next next game here guys uh brentford at home to burnley three no win overall comfortable win for brentford matt you showed high praise for wisa last week mm-hmm. he's the one that kick-started them yeah. uh, in this game here today he's he's a good player and i um Nodegaard caught my eye for yep. them too uh, same as we said, he stands out um, for a guy who is an Arsenal fan, loves watching that attack up front. He has an engine. He doesn't quit. I see elements of other strikers in, in him. He's got a little Holland in him. He's always given the goalie some stick, even though he's not a giant from Norway. <laughs> um, but I I enjoy watching this Brentford team. Um, and I think, you know... Uh, specialty, uh, not a specialty, the link up play between Mbwemo and Wiso was perfect. And it's like, man, if Tony comes back and he doesn't leave in January, you almost think this is the same Brentford team of last season. Tough to beat, tough to break down. But if you if they catch you on the counter, they can mm-hmm. be very clinical. And one thing that made me laugh was uh, when they scored that first goal was Dara O'Shea getting caught in the net. Yeah. The number two for Burnley. He <laughs> was stretched out. His cleats were caught. And he just looked like it was just comical. Is this uh, something to, if you're company and you're seeing these performances, you're trying to play front footed, do you start to think about changing your tactic or do you kind of let what you have tried to build the foundation of to, you know, stay that way? Unless I, I don't think company's going to get sacked. Unless company gets sacked, I don't think he should change it. Um, if they keep doing it, they're going to play teams at their at the lower end of the table at some point and they're going to start being able to get some points, either draws or wins. I, got um, I don't know if they're going to stay up. I want company to stay up. Even if it was the bane of my existence as an Arsenal fan for many years, I think he's a good coach. And I want this Burnley team to succeed. I'm with you. I just don't know if they can. <laughs> Next game here, guys. Uh, Newcastle United at home to Palace. 4-0 win for Newcastle. It was pretty much over by halftime. This game wasn't fun. Um, if any of you have ever seen the Simpsons meme where the little kid is going... Stop, stop. He's already dead to Homer as Krusty the Clown beating up the Hamburglar yep. from Krusty Burger. Uh, this was over at the, the 58th minute, and it was just, just please stop. Palace were already dead. Just let them be. And it was mainly just the, the Jacob Murphy show. I mean, he was outstanding. Uh, Jolington in the midfield I thought was fantastic as well. This wasn't a fun game to watch as a guy who has a soft spot for Palace. It yeah. was just a beating. And, and there was some. Uh, there was maybe one or two points during the game where you can kind of see some Palace you know, attacking patterns, but it was just a Newcastle yeah. show. It was a Newcastle show. Uh, last game here of the Saturday slate, guys. Uh, Sheffield United at home to Manchester United. Uh, 2-1 win for Manchester. Matt, I want to start with one thing. The XG for Sheffield was 1.41, and Manchester was 1.46. Uh, I can't help but think 
that Manchester United continues to play absolutely dog-ass horrible, but they still keep grinding out wins. So this is going to be get into our preview a little bit. I, When I see this Manchester United team, I see 11 players on the pitch not playing as a team, and they're the exact opposite of what City is, where it's 11 players on the pitch playing as a team, and I just... I. I don't know how to keep pulling out these these miracle wins. Like they, sh- the Brentford deserved to beat them last week, and the Blaze deserved to get a great a game, three points this one, or at least a draw. Because oh, yeah. the Sheffield played like, other than the McTominay like, I came in after this that McTominay like accidental goal. Yeah. Sheffield had them. The full first twenty five minutes was all Sheffield, and then United's first real attack is that. I call him McDonald's. I'll call him McTominay out of respect for our, mm-hmm. uh, for the Manchester United fans. But the McTom- McTominay goal. And then five minutes later, McTominay... Gave away gi- the handball. He giveth and he'll taketh. That's the thing. A um, couple things on Sheffield, though, that I, I, I was really impressed with. Maybe, again, with United having to play Lindelof, Johnny Evans, and Maguire as their, <laughs> as their defensive line. But uh, McKady, McCatty, uh, McAtee, uh, I think he was a former City product. Yeah, I think there's a player there. I think there's mm-hmm. a legitimate player there who has a lot of potential. Uh, I know you mentioned another player as well that you were also impressed with, number ten for Sheffield United. I'm, yeah, I'm let me find his name here. I got it on my team notes here. And while, and while you're while you're pulling that up, I just think you know Cameron Archer. Yeah, he toasted them a few times. There was definitely some some points in the game where you can kind of see that Sheffield was actually almost making a fool of this United team. He played it off. Who's that guy they got from Ajax? Um, they just got him in. They, he played it. He hit it off his back and rebounded it off of him. Oh, Onana. No, 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 no. Um, let me see if I can locate him. Here. Amarat. Amrabat. Amrabat. So he came from Fiorentina. Oh, my bad. No, it's all good. So I, I do remember that. I, there's just something weird about this United team that is so different from last season, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's to do. I know they are battling some injuries. Defensive lines not the same, but. I think if you're a Manchester United fan, at least for the next month or so, you're going to be uh, very um, nervous of these upcoming games yeah. that you're going to have. Like they're riding a roller coaster, like I was in the Chelsea game, <laughs> but they're winning, and they're just like I just. It doesn't seem like they I, should be winning. I think if we had a Manchester fan here, they would they would completely agree. You know, they they and funny enough, or they could tell us we're idiots and we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, true, true, <laughs> and. We'll get into the previews about the games next week, but they're they're gonna have a tough slate when they when they have a Manchester derby next week. So, uh, last jump, game of the weekend. Yes, sir. Uh, Sunday slate here, guys. We'll jump into one more disclosure about the Monday one. I think that'd yeah. be fair for yeah. everybody. But uh, Aston Villa at home to West Ham looks like a comfortable win for Aston Villa, winning four to one against. So this was kind of like it wasn't as big a deal as the the uh, Newcastle game mm-hmm. because the. West Ham players, Bowen was it was Bowen was trying to win this game single handedly for West Ham. He was throwing himself in front of free kicks. He got their goal. They had moments where it really looked like it could be a game, but Bowen's starting to hit that form mm-hmm. where he is kind of looking like his old self again and, and he deserves to be right now an international player mm-hmm. for, for the England squad with the way he's been playing the season. Uh, what did you think of the Douglas Louise performance today? I really wish Arsenal had signed him last year. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's playing great football. We talked he's a baller. Yeah, we talked about it last week. We said, well, I said, and you agreed with me as well, was who's going to win the midfield battle between Suchek um, and then um, I'm like, uh, oh. against Douglas Louise and, and McGinn and, and Kamaro. And Douglas Louise, Louise won up, it. He was the single handed. 
winner for that for that team there in a sense. Um, Again, I can't help but think that it's just going to be a good evening going forward, man. Mm-hmm. They are flying. Right Eleven now. wins at home. It's, it's a very good evening. They are second in goals uh, to Newcastle, which if you would have told me that last season, maybe midway point, I don't think anybody would have agreed with you. No, I would have. I would have. If you if you'd bet on that, you deserve to get your money. <laughs> but that's uh, that's it for the games this weekend. Let's talk about. We're not going to be able to cover Monday because we both work during that game, our day jobs. And, um, yeah, we'll have to cover it on the, the, the recap. It's uh, Fulham versus Tottenham in a London Derby. Yeah, we'll be jumping into the preview. That'll be the first thing we preview in the next segment, guys. But, yeah, I mean, we care about the game so much. It's just with scheduling purposes, guys. It's just that Monday slate's a little hard to do. Yeah. We might have to get, like, a, a, a button for disclosures for, for that game in, in itself. Yeah, um, we're probably just both. I'm gonna have to try to watch it just so I can as a recap, even though I don't want to because I'm not a Spurs fan. But I do have a soft spot for the Cottagers, so we'll see where that goes. You want to take a break, and then we'll come back with the um, preview of next week. All right, we are back. We're gonna start our preview section for next week's games. Uh, Reese, set the stage. We got a weird thing coming up this week. <laughs> first things first, guys. Uh, we do have the Monday game, uh, Tottenham at home to Fulham. We can't help but think that this is going to be a one-sided performance. Matt, what are your thoughts? Um, we covered it last week in our preview. I still think it's going to be like 2-3, two to, two to three, zero to the Spurs. Yeah, I think with the way Fulham has been playing lately, I think it it's really only going to be one-sided. And then we immediately go right back into a Spurs game again because they end the week and start the week. Which is very strange. You don't typically see a Monday night game for a team to then turn around and play primetime on Friday. I think it's because all four teams don't have Europe. Okay. Palace, Fulham, and Spurs don't have any European matches. I wonder if that is a factor into it. Definitely a possibility. Now, into that Friday game, Crystal Palace at home to Tottenham. I can't help but think that this might be one of those Roy Hodgson's masterclass uh, performances because, one, it's on a Friday. You're the only game, and Palace at home is one of the best scenes mm. in football. I've been to that ground. That was my baptism in Premier League at the in U- the U.K., even against a West Brom team, that stadium is a cauldron and cooking. Yeah. Um, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Palace can uh, counter to the attacking threat of Bostikoglu. You know, um, they're playing with so uh, such a front-footed type of formation nowadays, and I think Son and, and Madison are specifically the ones making the differences in this team. Uh, do you see a possibility of an upset on the cards here? Or? That brings me to my score prediction. <laughs> I want Palace to draw or win this, but I'm predicting Spurs 2-0. 2-0, okay. I'm going to go with an upset on the cards here. Not an upset in the terms of a Palace win, but I am going to say it's going to be a very close contested 1-1 to draw Ooh, in this game. I like that. I... All right, and <laughs> next up we have... This one is the one where you're just going to break your heart. It yeah. is Chelsea versus Brentford, a West proper West London derby uh, at 4 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, 4.30. For you East Coasters, you guys are so lucky, man. I will not be up for this game. I will be enjoying my slumber. I just hope I don't have to wake up to depression. But, Matt, I'm a little bit worried about this game. Uh, Chelsea have been playing. You know, they've had some good Better. results. Of course, the draw against Arsenal is a, is a good result considering the form that you guys were in. But there's something about this Brentford team that is just hard to beat. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts? I am thinking it's going to be hard for them to win. I think that Brentford is going to get a draw, 1-1. Fair. And I think a uh, big thing that will be uh, a turn, a, a big factor into this game 
How does Chelsea break down that Brentford defense? It's a solid counter-attacking team. You know they're going to be playing the low block. I can't help but think that if Poch doesn't make the right system to have this team play through Brentford instead of doing the old Chelsea thing where we'll go down the wing, mm-hmm. we'll just start spamming crosses. I think Poch is better at that. He set out a game plan to adapt to the weather in this Ars- the Arsenal game, yeah. and it took Arteta it's like 68 to 78 minutes or 68 to 70 minutes to adapt to what Pacha put out. He just didn't have an answer once it was put out. Definitely fair. But I'm going to I'm going to give the most non-biased prediction here. And I think it is going to be a very exciting 0-0 draw in that game unfortunately. So we both have a draw. Okay. Exactly. And that leads us into the next game. Uh one of my favorite podcasters is going to be at this game, Arsenal home to Sheffield United. I can't help but shout think, out to Elliot from Arsenal or Arsenal Vision. <laughs> I, I can't help but think this is going to be, especially now that you guys have had a week under your belt, no international break to worry about coming back from. I can't help but think this will be an Arsenal comfortable win. Sheffield had a great performance, mm-hmm. you know, against Manchester, but this Arsenal team is just clicking right now. Yeah, when they click, I think they're gonna just blow away the blades. Um, I have this one a four zero to the Gunners. I think there will be some some points in the game where you know. Uh, Sheffield may get a, may, may get some decent attacks in, but yeah, I agree. I think this will be a, a two to three. I'm going to say a three zero win to Arsenal. Okay, and that brings us into a, a lower table uh, clash next seven a.m. on Saturday is Bournemouth versus Burnley. This is a, actually a huge game for the relegation battle, man. Uh, it's a six pointer. Yeah, both teams in not the best of form. Uh, Burnley have gotten a few results, but. I, I but these are the two teams we were talking about where we see it and will they play each other? There's something there. This might be one of those exciting games where you don't see it coming, but it could be a three-two, three. You know, some. Three. That's what I have written down. <laughs> I think it it'll either be a draw of some kind or it'll be four-three to Burnley. I can't help but think if this game does not have like if you're a betting man, like over two and a half goals for both, like combined. I think it'll be a disappointing game because they're both so front-footed. Yeah, I'm. My prediction is if we're because we're planning on doing a table is I'm going to lock this in four three to Burnley. That's my prediction. Four three to Burnley. Wow. I think in this circumstance, I think it's time Bournemouth finally get their first win this season. I think with the attacking patterns that they've had, I'm going to go with a two one win to Bournemouth. Gotcha. All right. And next up is uh, Wolves Newcastle. Might be one of the underrated games of the weekend. As well, we... it's at Wolves. It's at the Molyneux in uh, beautiful Birmingham. And as we were talking about in the last segment, this Wolves team is tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Now, counter to that, Newcastle's in some of the best form in all of the <laughs> Premier League. So I could be eating my words here, but this Newcastle team is just really good. <laughs> when I wrote down my predictions, I think I might have uh, picked up some secondhand smoke for one of my neighbors because I predicted Wolves won Newcastle 0. Okay, so you have an upset on the cards. Mm-hmm. Man, I if Neto in that Wolves attack it continues to be uh, playing the way they have been, and they always have had a solid defense, there's a possibility that Wolves can scrape one here. But I think with the form that Newcastle's in, and I think with... Uh, you know, the way they play, the energy they play with, I'm going to go with a 2-0 Newcastle win. Fair enough. All right, next up is West Ham and Everton and this is on for Sunday. The, yep, this is for the Sunday slate, first game of that of the Sunday slate here. Um, this could be one of those, those closely contested games because Everton, again, 
the way Deitch plays, they're going to be very defensive, looking for the counter. With West Ham, they have to sort of be the front, be on the front foot, and that's typically not the way they play. Typically, they do not play that no. way, I should say. Um, so I'm going to be interested in this game a lot. I can personally only see this going one way, and that is going to be a West Ham win. I think it's going to be a 1-0 to West Ham, and Ooh. a squeakly, squeaky close one. I'm predicting 3-1 to West Ham. Really? Okay. Yes. I think I picked up some of that smoke from my neighbor that you smell coming in. <laughs> All right. And next up, you want to start this one? Yeah, so at this one, guys, we have Aston Villa at home to Luton. Matt, I want to get your thoughts on this. Is there any possibility for Luton here? No. Um, if they win, I will be putting on my little hat and running around my house. I love a team that has orange in their logo. <laughs> But I think 2-0 to Villa. It's going to be a good evening for Aston Villa. Yeah, as we were talking about the last segment, it's going to be hard to see Villa dropping any points anytime soon. Uh, I completely agree with you. I may have it even a little bit worse. I'm, I'm going to go with a throttling of a 4-0 win to Aston Villa. I can see that happening. I'm not happy about it. Thanks, <laughs> uh, game here, guys. Uh, also in the Sunday slate, we have Brighton at home to Fulham. Matt, what do you think this is going to be turning out to be? I think Zerbi's going to strike back. Um, we saw it at the end of that Man City game where they started to assert themselves. I'm predicting 3-0 to Brighton. I have a qu- <laughs> I have a question for you. Is Zerbi? And I was thinking about it yesterday. There was a point in the game where uh, Zerbi was literally about to break the chair. Oh, break the chair, yes. <laughs> Is Zerbi probably the most intimidating, intense manager in the league right now? Do you think? Because man, he, I, I, I think he's all- I think he's tied. Yeah. Because. I had an encounter um, when I was a lot younger with an Australian gentleman who reminds me a lot of Sean Deitch, who in a bar fight threw me on a pool table and put his hands around my <laughs> neck. Um, I know that that's not Sean, but I still, that that look has a, yeah. something in my heart. I just can't help but be <laughs> slightly afraid of this man. Oh, like, but- he's in the top three of the intimidating power ranking managers. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think this is the time where Brighton most likely take over. Fulham have not been in great form at all. Um, I think I'm going to go with a 3-0 to Brighton win, and I have a Matoma brace on the cards as well. Gotcha. All right, the last game of the Sundays. Oh, no, no, no. So we got one, one more after that. What was your score prediction for the Brighton? 3-0. 3-0, okay. Mm-hmm. Just making sure. Are we going into Liverpool Forest or are the well? Let's do that one next. We'll leave the big one for the end. Yeah. So Liverpool at home to Nottingham Forest. Uh, again, we, we see some decent decent patterns of play from Nottingham Forest. Like we said, they should have won that game by a couple goals, um, but they just couldn't hold out against that Luton team. Matt, is there any chance for Nottingham in this game? No. Klopp and Salah are gonna get them. It's three zero to pool, in my opinion. I don't like the way Liverpool start their games. Uh, it doesn't really count for the Everton game because mm-hmm. they're a little bit different. But um, Liverpool make mistakes in the backfield. Uh, they do. In the defense. And I think... I should have gone 3-1 like all their games. <laughs> I think there is a possibility that Nottingham squeeze a goal. but And I think historically over this season, especially Liverpool have a lot of 3-1 wins. Mm-hmm. As you just said, I'm going to go ahead and take a 3-1 pools win here. Gotcha. John, and set up the last game for us. I wish I could like set the scene and I was like a cool announcer. But we have Manchester United, Manchester City... Manchester Derby. Who's at home? It's going to be at Old Trafford. Ooh. It's going to be scenes uh, for the last game of the Sunday slate. As we were talking about in the last segment, uh, Matt, I can't help but think that this Manchester United, unless they change something drastically over this week span, it could be one-sided. I'm predicting a 3-1 to City. 
Um, Sir Alex said that they would never come in as the uh, favorites as long as he's alive. Well, Alex is alive as far as I, Mr. Ferguson as far as alive as I know when they come in as the favorites every game now. Quick side side note, rest in peace to Sir Bobby Charles. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, big loss for, for, for the United fans and, and for football as a whole. Uh, but back to the game. I, I completely agree with you. Um, but one thing I will give Manchester some hope, Manchester United some hope for is they typically usually play well against city sides. They have mm-hmm. a history of maybe being the team that happens to beat the city team. In this circumstance, I don't think it's going to happen. But it's definitely on the cards because, again, it is a solid Manchester United team. They have been on the back foot against Brentford and Sheffield in the last two weeks and has had to pull out Hail Marys to win those games. Sure. Um, City has rearmed themselves with red cards going away, but that a uh, that a kanji red card may hurt them. That's definitely because he's fair. gone for the derby. But to be fair, R- Ruben Diaz did come off the bench, mm-hmm. uh, so they could be just having him as cover. But I think a big point in this upcoming game is which defense is Manchester United going to put out? Because if I I swear, dude, if it's the Johnny Evans, Linda Loft, Maguire trio, I it, it could be 5-0 to, to City. <laughs> but I'm going to give the, the United fans some benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to go with a 2-0 win to City. Gotcha. All right. So next we're going to come into a little section we'll call stoppage time. We're going to take turns asking each other the big questions moving forward. Now we're in our regular format. And in this stoppage time, Reese, I'm going to set the historical stage for you on my question. Um, Since 2000, only only a few teams have been able to pull this off. And they've all won their leagues when they've done it. In uh, 11-12 season, Juventus did this in Italy. Porto has done it in the 2010-2011 season. And the 2012-2013. The two big giants of Scottish football pulled this off in 16-17 for Celtic. And 2021, 2020 and 2021 for Rangers in Scotland. And, of course, my beloved Arsenal pulled it off in 0304. And this has only been accomplished two times in the history of English football. Yep. The other one was by Preston North End in 1888-1889 to go invincible. And all those teams have won it and won their league doing it. Mm-hmm. Do you think the most um, modern Spurs, Tottenham thing, Spursy, whatever you want to call it, thing ever would be to... Go invincible, get bragging rights over your rival, but to not win the league and lose it to a city or an arsenal um, and have a non-trophy trophy. I'll give you a blunt answer and then my detailed Mm -hmm. answer, no. Second off, (laughs) my detailed answer. The reason being uh, is I think nowadays with the um, talent in the Premier League from top to bottom, as we were talking about before the pod, any team can beat any team on a given mm-hmm. night. Um, you know, even with my prediction for Palace Spurs, you know, I may have a, a small draw for Palace going that way. But I, it's definitely a possibility. You know, anything's possible in the Premier League. But I can't help but think with the talent in the Premier League nowadays. That somebody doesn't get a win over them. Yeah, it's, it's bound to happen. But if it did happen, would it be the most Spursy <laughs> thing ever? Like that year that uh, the Golden State Warriors broke the Bulls record for the most wins in an NBA season, but didn't win the title. I bet. I think that hurt their legacy. It would. And, and I'm sure Spurs fans would probably still treat that as a oh, win. They would treat <laughs> it as a trophy. And I mean, no disrespect to uh, Tom Holland uh, or any other Spurs fans out there. But I think it would be an added layer to the rivalry between Arsenal and Spurs if they took our thing. Yeah. Like the treble had with Alex Ferguson and those Manchester United teams and City got it last year. Um, I hate to say it. I think that they would never let us live it down. 
But at the same time, if they if they have a Spurs type of season where they don't win it and they go undefeated, they don't get that golden trophy. So really, mm-hmm. is it something? It's that, a non-trophy trophy. Yeah, it, I think it would be peak Spurs. It'd be an outstanding season for Spurs if they go undefeated. Mm-hmm. It would definitely be historic, and I think it would be an outstanding achievement for them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if if you get top four for the Spurs mm-hmm. team um, with the change that they've been under, I think they'll take that as a, oh, yeah. an achievement too. No, I. And they get their Europe. I think they're going to get Europe back. I I definitely put them in top four. Okay. They're playing amazing, but um, just for like poetry, um, I think it would be the greatest thing for the league if they are the first team to ever go undefeated and not win the Premier League trophy. Now you kind of answered my question because, <laughs> guys, we started our podcast just last week, middle of the season. I want to get Matt's two predictions. Okay. One or three predictions, I guess. Your top four in order with your league winner. Who do you have winning the league, top four? And then who do you have dropping into the championship next season? So for my top four, um, so let me just, I have yeah. three things I want. Yeah. And it's 1A and 1B. Okay. If Arsenal, I want Arsenal to win the title. If they can, I want them to have St. Totteringham's Day. And I want Luton to stay up. Okay. But in my terms of my table, I'm throwing this out there. I'm an unapologetic Arsenal fan. Um, Arsenal to win the league. City to come in second. Spurs will be third and fourth Liverpool. Yeah. I think that's definitely fair, especially before you jump into your relegation mm-hmm. battle. Who um, do you got? Since we never had a chance to do a preview pop because we started on week eight or nine. I'll, I'll dive into my top four in a, in a moment here. I think I would tend to agree with you that there's definitely a possibility Arsenal can win the league this season, and this is coming from a Chelsea fan. You know, it hurts my heart yeah. to say it, but to be non-biased in this circumstance... Uh, with City winning three Premier Leagues in a row and the transition that they went on, un, went through in the summer, it's definitely on the cards that City uh, cannot win the league this year. And it's definitely between Arsenal, Liverpool, and Spurs to be the ones to dethrone them. Mm-hmm. But we, I think everyone's small fear in the back of their head was once the month of March hits, they can literally go 10-0 and 0 or whatever yeah. the amount of games left and just take over. Um, jumping into my top four, personally, I still have City scraping it in the league. I have Arsenal second. I have Liverpool third. And Spurs fourth. And Spurs fourth, yeah. Okay. And then... Uh, I thought you would have put Chelsea fourth. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Who do you have as your relegation battle? All right, so no particular order in these just because I don't know how it's going to shake up. Okay. I fully think that Bournemouth is going to go down. Same with Sheffield and um, Everton. I don't want it to happen, but I think Everton is there. They lost to Luton. I, I would I would tend to agree with you. I think my only uh, disagreement with you is I actually think Bournemouth will somehow find a way to stay up, and I think Fulham's going to be the team that will actually be Ooh. the ones dropping out of this because, like I said, as we discussed don't last shade week, your local rival. Yeah, I know. <laughs> as we discussed last week, if they don't get proper backing in January, I don't see this team staying up. And. They got a good amount of check for the Mitrovic, right? Yeah, I mean they got forty million for him. You know, they should have gotten more. He's a he's a better player. It could have been that. more. I mean, I I believe based off the top of my head, it was, it was around that range. But I I completely agree. Replacing him with Raul Jimenez, as we talked about last week, he's just not the same player. Mm-hmm. And um, I think along with uh, uh, not Bournemouth, what were the team we were just talking? Fulham. Along with Fulham. I have uh, Sheffield going down. I think that's just, unfortunately, the obvious. So you got Fulham, Sheffield, and who's your third team? 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I think in this circumstance, if nothing changes and company doesn't get it fixed, I unfortunately have Burnley as that team. Um, you want to make JJ Watt cry? <laughs> I just think Bournemouth at least has some sort of uh, threat to them that company has not mastered with this young team yet. Mm. And it's a young team at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, I think that they would have been my other pick just because, unfortunately, I, I, you know me. I've talked to the pastor. I want Everton to stay up. Yeah, I think Everton needs to learn some hard lessons. Yeah, and I'm if they stay up, they're going to keep going what they have. They need to maybe get rid of Deitch and actually start building a team to play to win. As we discussed before the pod, they do not have a foundation for a team that's going to be challenging for anything anytime They're soon. They're just going to keep bobbing along, trying to fight it off and being in 17th or 16th. Partially, it is due to their ownership. They have been going through some... some mm-hmm. Stuff in the background. Exactly. And, and Arsenal struggle when they were having an ownership shakeup until the Cronkies were able to officially have everything in their hands. Exactly. And until that unnamed man, you know, is out of that sanction, uh, you know, for that you know, what's going on in the other parts of the world. I, I, I would tend to agree with you that as long as Deitch is at the helm and they're not planning on funding this team the way they should be, I, I would tend to agree with you. It's going to be a team that's either just avoiding relegation or is going to be in the championship. Yeah. Um, so I think we've covered everything this weekend. I just wanted to go over some like housekeeping stuff at the back here, but yeah. I'd, go ahead um, if you guys could, uh, if you're listening, give us a uh, five star and either whatever podcatcher you use so we can help grow this pod. And um, if thanks not, for your time. Yeah. And, and give us some feedback, you know, things mm-hmm. that we can work on. Uh, you know, we're working through the audio difficulties as well. So uh, we're trying to improve the podcast as we go along. Uh, but we appreciate you guys listening in and tuning into the 443 podcast. Yep. And I'm going to put the um, on the show notes, I'm going to put our email. If you want to shoot us a question, we could throw those in the stoppage times to keep things moving. But it's uh, have a great rest of your week from Matt and Reese. Thank you, guys.